Don't nobody tell me that God don't have a sense of humor. 'Cause now that I want to live with everybody around me is dying. Now that I finally wanna live, the ones I love are dying. This week, um, rather than just being back, um, we are joined by the uh, the proprietor of the uh, the podcast network that we are on, um, host of We Don't Know Wrestling, former host of the Wazim Cast, uh, Sam. Damn it, Sam! I meant to ask you if you like want me to say your last name or not. Sam Concretington. Um, Sam, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. It has been a hot minute since I've recorded my voice for the internet. Yeah, and we had to have you on to defend Sammy Callahan after the slander that we did for him last week, because um, we know that you know, that's that's your most important wrestler in the world to you. Um, no, actually, be- be- before we move on here, <laughs> yes, Sam, how serious are you about Sammy Callahan possibly being your number one guy for the 2010s? I need to know how serious this is. Oh no, he's definitely working number one right off the bat. Oh, like shit. I guess I got I got a spreadsheet number one, Sammy Callahan. Uh, number two, maybe Chris Hero, and then as a whole bunch of malarkey um, for the rest of that top 100. But Sammy's the working number one at the moment. Uh, wow. Okay. I, I, I just need to know how serious that was. I know no. that you have him as multiple number, number, like wrestler of the year years. So I just I just need to see like how serious like the, like this was. But okay. <laughs> yeah. If you're a top end guy for that long, uh, like even if you've got some real dead years, you got to be in the conversation at the very least. Um, as I talk, as I look into more context and try to figure, out, okay, really. As we spread this whole thing out, 10 years, long time, we're number one, three times in a row. I mean, three times total. That should mean something. But if you're also not on the list for two years because 
your TNA work is really bad or your WWE work is non-existent. Yeah, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Working number one for sure. Okay, so like, what puts him above Chris Hero though? Because like, even if you don't have Chris Hero as like having like solidified like number one years, like there's years where he's like no worse than like top three, top four. Um, probably just down to like years where Sammy Callahan is just by far absolutely without question my number one like that means okay, okay. more than to me um then you know he's probably a top five guy uh, or top 10 guy um but when sammy years he's number one for me like i don't question it. i'm just like oh he is the number one wrestler for 2015 right. or 2016 or whatever it was um yeah that's where i stand on sammy callahan yeah, I mean, it's weird, though, because Chris Hero is a great comparison because even Chris Hero, like, his WWE run isn't as dead as Sammy's. Like, there is still some good Chris Hero when he's in WWE that Sammy doesn't have at all. Yeah, yeah Sammy's is, like, non-existent other than, like, one match in the first Dusty Classic. Like, it's really, like, non-existent. Yeah, it's it's kind of... It's a it's an interesting comparison, especially in that regard. Um, just to think, like, he's completely dead. And then if you're willing to say that for Sammy, then it's like, where do you think you end up with, like, Danielson? Because he had a few years layoff, like, for totally different reasons, but he also had some really high highs as well. So does he end up, like, getting a similar treatment for you? Do you see him in the top ten, or where do you see him? I would say probably top ten, um, without thinking on it too much, um, just based on kind of the years he was able to excel in a promotion that doesn't always want professional wrestlers to excel seems to work against that 90% of the time um yeah probably somewhere in the top 10 yeah just because his biggest I think down you know talking point for not having him super high is you know having a long period of layoff but if you're willing to say Sammy Callahan when he had such a long period of layoff I couldn't imagine you wouldn't have Danielson also relatively high um oh for sure yeah but but even then for me for Danielson it's like like, his layoffs actually kind of, like, are positives for me because there's two separate points where he is forced to retire or uh, stop competing due to injury. And both times he comes back, he's, at worst, like, a top three guy on the roster still. Right. And, like, he's, he's done this, like, he's done this several times. Yeah. He's really impressive uh, when it comes to that taking time off and then coming back. But uh, <laughs> transition... Um, into what we're talking about tonight. There's uh, we're going to be talking about AEW's uh, Double or Nothing. Is this two AEW Double or Nothing 2020? And there's a lot of people here who yeah. had a little bit of a layoff and maybe uh, had a little bit of ring rust. Especially we'll talk about in the uh, the first match if anybody watched the pre-show. Um, but tonight, to honor the show that we're watching, we are the Mark Order. Um, Sammy Ca- or Sammy uh, Sammy po- podcast host. Um, if we're the Mark Order, you're probably John Silver. Do you think you're taller than the Raw Dog? Um, I think we're even. Okay. I think I've stand, stood next to the Raw Dog. Um, we're dead heat. Um, the only wrestler that is built that I know for sure is built as taller than me, that I am um, definitely taller than, is Jimmy Jim Olsen. Um, but I think Raw Dog and me are are dead heat at dead five heat. Okay. three. Okay. What, what what about you and Jonathan Gresham? Oh yeah, I, I I'm taller. Taller than okay, Gresham. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I don't have a frame of reference. I just know people make fun of Sam for being short, but I don't really even know how tall he really is, and I'm bad at that kind of stuff. So, um, anyways, do you guys have any other things you want to talk about before we get into the show? Obviously, 
I hate to say this so cavalierly, but after the last time we recorded, there was a little bit of news that was like talked about, but nothing was official when we were recording. Um, but the unfortunate passing of Hanakamura, we already talked about a couple of deaths on the last podcast, but yeah, which was like we like had like I was getting swamped at work, so like that explained like the delay on the podcast coming out a few days later, and not and us not talking about Hana, but yeah, that was yeah. Yeah, that one that one fucked me up. Yeah, that was that was a bad one for sure. Um, you know, I mean, just a terrible situation all around. The the stuff that is out there about what happened is tragic. The stuff that she posted, even herself, is just really really tragic to see out there. But it's unfortunate time that we're in. I mean, I don't think anyone can overlook the fact that you know, the, on top of the situation that she was in, getting cyber bullied basically. Um, that also like the quarantine and everything that's going on with the pandemic is probably also driving people crazy. So like, that that could that couldn't have helped at all. Yeah. Like that's something that I always like thought about when it came to the pandemic is a lot of people's mental health and a lot of people's mental health is just like it's not really equipped to be alone with like your thoughts for like so long. Right. So like that to me is like something I've been really curious about during this whole thing and you know like there's also like there's plenty of numbers out there to showing like people's mental health is definitely like struggling yeah. with this so like just, it just sucks to like see and read right I mean we talked about the the drive the singular drive of, of wrestlers just recently talking about kind of Brock Lesnar uh, Tyler Bate stuff like that like a lot I mean it's not a, a fucking secret that a lot of wrestlers have mental health issues and a lot of them aren't dealing with them properly and a lot of them honestly wrestling is how they deal with those issues and you throw yourself into it so much and then just having it be completely gone, cold turkey, and now you have to just be basically alone with just yourself and your thoughts. It's, it can be pretty tough. It's, it's honestly crazy that you don't hear about even more that there hasn't been even more like kind of stories of stuff like this big in the media yet. Um, so we'll see. Uh, Sam, did you have anything to add or anything to say? No, it's an absolute tragedy. It's just like it's hard to fathom, um, and I just. It, it's really just hard to think about right now, especially just this quarantine is not ideal um, for anyone right now, especially with if you're susceptible to um, mental health um, concerns right now. Like, all I can say is like, just all everyone do their best to reach out to one another. It doesn't solve anything. It's not going to fix anything. And but at the same time, like, hey, like right now, maybe that doesn't hurt um, to try feel a little bit more connected um to the best of our abilities yeah and everyone says you know oh you know i'm here for you if you need help reach out if you like a lot of people say that but it's really tough when you're the person who needs the help it's pretty tough to know and it's pretty tough to reach out so honestly my advice to a lot of people out there is reach out yourself if you're okay but you know someone who might not be okay reach out to them yourself don't wait for them to reach out to you because you know it's like sometimes it's that's too hard like sometimes you're in such a shitty situation that it's too hard for you to to do that i know that i have friends and people who i message and and touch base with regularly just to make sure that they're still doing okay because you know it's it's, it can be tough and when you're in it sometimes you can't take the time to send a message to let someone or you're embarrassed to say hey i could really use someone to talk to you know so yeah this is the worst time to try to develop support structures but um that's unfortunately that's kind of the situation it is because a, a group is not helping that right now. And I guess as individuals, we got to do this whatever we can, uh, even if that's 
maybe not going to be the be-all, end-all solution for sure. Definitely. So, uh, AEW Double or Nothing, did either of you guys watch the, uh, or actually, any other topics we want to get into before we get into it? Uh, nothing. I think we're good to go straight into AEW. Alright. Did anybody watch the buy-in, the kickoff show? I, I, I did not. I refuse to watch any, any pre-shows. This goes for... AEW, WWE, like I've just, I just don't watch pre-shows usually. Yeah. Uh, as a kind of score of wrestling, I did watch the pre-show. Um, so I am now intimately familiar with the Private Party versus Best Friends matchup. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, uh, you know, it's not just that you're a wrestling aficionado, but it's also a, an aficionado of, of a New York indie scene, Stalwarts, the Private Party. Um, so, of course, you were going to watch this. Um, th- this who, is who, ca- bought, who bought oh. Hog? Um. Oh, uh, Master P. Okay. When's that? We all damn quarantine. That really. That that's that's that ruined it. Oh, well, I was hoping four by four would come back. Um. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we uh, we open up private party best friends, and this is what I was talking about the shake off from the layoff. I mean, private party looked bad. <laughs> I hate to say it, but they, a lot of ring rust. It looked like for private party here. Um just mistiming stuff i mean and it's really it's really sh- glaringly obvious when you have guys who are known for their finesse guys who in the past mm-hmm. on the podcast i've compared to the being like they are the modern young bucks you know what i mean like they could be that's why it made sense for the young bucks to drop that fall to them kind of show like that these are the these are the future of kind of carrying the tag division in the way that we did and to have them come out and really just look a step off in almost everything there was like one Mark Quinn, I think. Um, he hits a shooting star press that looks fucking phenomenal. It's like crazy how good it looks, um, and it just looks weird. He like gets this hang time and this rotation that just doesn't. It looks otherworldly, and it's like that kind of moment of that standing out did make it go like, okay, like there's these guys are still there. There's a reason why I'm like kind of let down and like why they're missing because they used to be they're just so snappy on point. Everything they hit looked good, and multiple things here got flubbed. Um, Best friends looked fine throughout it. I mean, you got Chuck Taylor. He's a veteran, longtime veteran. Uh, Trent, maybe veteran, but he's got maybe the same uh, issue as Joe Biden as a veteran that he can't. Maybe he doesn't remember all those years he's been wrestling. Um, but uh, but they are able to carry it still. Everything's you know pretty solid th- for the most part. But yeah, I mean, Private Party just looked like they were a step off the entire match, basically. Uh, Sam, what was your takeaway of the match? It felt like Trent was carrying a lot of this match. Uh, yeah, Chuck was not in there a whole bunch. Um, and I wouldn't have been surprised if Trent had at one point given uh, Isaiah specifically a receipt for pretty much almost putting him on his neck multiple times because of just not getting a rotation on, whether it be like a slingshot flatliner or slingshot DDT or whatever. Um, yeah, I was like, that's not looking great um, when your whole thing is being able to do these fancy moves and whatnot, like hitting, not hitting those things on target and kind of making it look like the other guy could have gotten hurt bad in a not fun way as someone who is all four moves looking dangerous to an extent. Um, it just looked rough. Um, at the same time, like Trent, I think kind of held this together as best he could uh, for everyone involved. Yeah. Um, so then we uh, start off the pay-per-view official. Um, we get uh, a video package about everything that's going on, showing you know 
people actually talking about the uh, coronavirus, which you don't get in WWE right now, right? Um, oh, 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 fair, oh, fair warning. Like, guys, like, I have not watched many of these empty AEW shows, so there's a lot of stuff that like I feel like I've missed, or like Tim has missed, yeah, or yeah. Sam has missed. So like, if like if, if there's anything that like we don't we like, aren't completely up to date on, like forgive us here. But like I guess they like Double or Nothing was like too big of a show to like not like not try to talk about. But like I haven't, I haven't watched too many of the MV Arena shows. Yeah, I've I've picked and choose watching some stuff here and there, and I've uh, and I've uh, you know kept up a little bit on the storylines and what's going on. But I haven't been a uh, weekly glued to the television viewer for the past couple of weeks. Is that different for you, Sam? Have you been watching everything from AEW? I think I've seen exactly zero um, 2020 wrestling uh, at the moment, so I have <laughs> I've been keeping up via uh, Twitter.com. Um, I've been focused on the 2010s as of late, so I have seen zero empty arena wrestling. So this is my first foray into uh, the genre, as it were. Yeah, and this is not even fully empty arena wrestling. I mean, they actually have some people. In the stands, yeah, they, they had like people like 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 some producers, backstage workers, some like wrestlers that weren't booked. Like they also like they had a shot of Vicky Guerrero and other people there. So they had like maybe like a good like fifteen people, maybe 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 a little bit more, like scattered across like the front the, the front section of uh, where the crowd would be if we were in normal times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It would be. It's really funny to think about AEW as a empty arena promotion now because kind of this whole thing started based on a bet on how many people you could get into an arena, right? Like, you know, that's the Yeah, that's kind of funny. The pretense of it existing and then now they're running shows with no fans. So, it's kind of funny. Um, like I said, open up the show with a thank you to the the real troops, me, the healthcare workers. Um, and I'll say that this was corny, cheesy, and and I found it a little bit uh, uh, kind of uh, just a uh, like pandering. Um, and I was not a fan. Um, they do a tribute to Shad Gaspar, which is uh, real nice, especially when we'll reference that one later on in the show, um, which obviously people have already talked to death in other places. Um, open up uh, some vignettes a little bit, showing kind of people uh, getting ready for the show, talking about the ladder match that's going to open up the show, and we get the, I don't even know what they are calling it, casino ladder match. The, cas- the casino ladder match for a future shot at the AEW title. Um, concept of a Royal Rumble staggered entrance style ladder match. Um, I mean, on paper, stupid. I would say dumb, dumb idea on paper. Um, instantly wasn't but, but, yeah, but wasn't like terrible. No, it just went way too long. Yeah. Uh, the I thought that the opening segment was particularly stupid, like trying to be cute by having both members of SCU started out, and I'm really just like, I I don't know, I don't believe that these guys wouldn't just let one of them win. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's other groups where I can buy the we both want to win animosity, even though we're a group thing, but these guys are not the those guys. It's like I would instantly just be like, you know, obviously Scorp has already had a match with Jericho for the title. He's the guy. He's clearly the one. Like, they would just give him... You would think that Kazarian would just let him have the title. Or let him have the title shot here to open it up. Um, but yeah, the match itself overall, not bad. Um, I think mileage may vary on the Orange Cassidy thing. I really liked it. Um, I thought that Orange Cassidy... Uh, yeah, I, 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 thought that, I thought that was awesome. 
Yeah, so I really thought that Orange Cassidy brought a lot here. I thought that Havoc actually added to the match. Kind of Jimmy Havoc being the the heavy for Kip Sabian was not terrible. Yeah, um, so that that's that's one thing I meant to talk about. I didn't know that they turned Jimmy Havoc heel and then put him with Penelope and Kip in this weird in this weird stable. Yeah, I didn't even know either. I don't know how long they've even really been doing this, but uh, but it works for me. I think that as a as a trios unit or as a three whatever you'd call the three of them. Um, little stable, like it works a lot better than a Havoc faction, as a single. I guess. Yeah, works a lot better than Havoc as a singles. And Sabian could really use something because unfortunately he's been kind of dying on the vine in AEW um, up until this point. So that unit works for me. Um, Sam, you've been kind of quiet there. What are, what's your opinion? Bef- on- oh, I-, I had trouble focusing on this match in the early portions because before in one of those pre-match vignettes with the competitors, uh, Kip Sabian did say, um, "Ladders are in my blood." Which just kind of threw me yes. for a loop for a period of time. Um, <laughs> that was a fun one. <laughs> um, and I just was like, ah, "What does he mean? Like, what, you're not a second generation wrestler for one. So, like, even if that was the route you were going, um, I, you, are you really the opposite of an iron deficiency? Um, I don't know. So well, that okay. just boggled me. I don't know if you've ever seen. I think I think, I think, I think, that, I think that's hemochromatosis. Ah, yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I don't know if you've ever seen the double helix design of uh, DNA, but it is very similar in in shape to a ladder. It has the rungs, it goes up. So maybe he was just talking about his DNA chain uh, actually has a, uh, has, has ladders. Okay. We uh, all have ladders inside of our blood, man. Doesn't sound like a great advantage. <laughs> yes. So it's not. He's the only one who just happens to be mentioning that we all have the same advantage here because we're humans. Um, but... You know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that that did throw me for a loop a little bit as well. But I was able to uh, to drop it. But I could also see if you haven't watched really much AEW um, in general, and especially lately, that there's a lot of moving parts in here and a lot of just random people. Um, but yeah, I thought that you know, like Orange Cassidy, the Sabian, and uh, and Havoc group kind of carried a lot the bulk of the match um, to keep it at least having something interesting. Um, Colt, Darby was all Darby was awesome as always. Darby was like a, the star of the match, really. Um, burying Cage, I could have done without the burying Cage. It was a little over the top, but I did like the way that they they sold the chi- the size of the novelty poker chip, and that came back into it later in the night um, when talking about like the, you know the size. Oh, we saw six men have to carry it earlier, so you know that those things are heavy. Like that was kind of uh, kind of good for for setting the table there. Um, Luchasaurus versus Brian Cage is an intriguing matchup, but I felt like that they didn't really do a good job to tease to get me excited for seeing it more in the future here. If anything, coming out of here, the match I want to see more of is is Darby and Cage. Um, yeah, totally. And Darby's a fucking idiot. <laughs> like I, t- I had turned the corner and started to really like Darby a lot, but he's going back to doing insane stunt bumps and just completely destroying himself. And uh, to be, to be fair, that's like what like what else is he, what else is he gonna do with right, this? Right, exactly. <laughs> Um, the weird like press slam with the ladder thing was giving me shades of uh, of, of Rey Mysterio on the the stretcher on the bodyboard getting slammed into the the um, the post. Um, that's that's one of my scariest childhood memories. Yeah. I'm like he's on a stretcher. <laughs> he just swung him like he's a fucking baseball bat. No, like... it's so nasty. So it was giving me vibes of that. I was remembering it, and I was like, Jesus Christ! Um, and then he just tosses him. It was like. It was a little bit too much setup and too much with the letter to end up with something that seemed so anticlimactic, even if it was scary as shit and fucking crazy. Um, Cage gets the win. Um, 
I mentioned this and obviously got instantly shit on, but the uh, who will stop the path of Cage to me, like it does harken back to the who better than Canyon, um, just because I know that Cage would always reference that because he was trained by uh, by Chris Canyon somewhat. So, like it may be also it's a reference to both things. That's why it says who in the beginning to be like the who better than you know who better than Cage thing. Um, Cage and Taz, what do we think? What do you guys, uh, Quentin? What do you think of of Brian Cage and Taz as a as a, a unit. So I thought Cage was like fine as, as a talker in like in like the world of like the very overly produced Lucha Underground, but this probably was a smart this probably was a was a smart idea. Like Taz is a guy that's too valuable to not have on screen, and I think that he's a guy that can help Cage take that take that next leap. There's some guy. I'm 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 just glad, honestly, the amount of managers in AEW, which is something that hasn't really been talked about uh, talked about as much. But from Taz to Arn to Roberts to um, the best friends when they're when they're accompanying Orange Cassidy to Penelope Ford, uh, Brandy Brandy with Dustin, it, we have a lot of managers here, and I think that Taz has potential to be probably like the be- probably the best one with how much he can just do for Cage's aura because. No matter how old Taz gets, you just remember like you know like the human suplex machine, the Taz missions, the suplexes, and everything like that. He still carries himself like a badass, and I think that's going to help Cage no matter what he's doing in AEW. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the one, the one thing that came out of the debut was like it was one of the few times the show I was like, oh, I wonder how this would be reacted to in a, with a crowd. Um, like, would people actually care that Brian Cage had debuted? Um, I don't know what the answer to that would be, but it was the only moment during the show. I was like, "Oh, this is a mystery component." I, how do you do a mystery component with no crowd? And that's like ninety percent of what you're looking for is like, "Oh, how do people react to this new entity in the promotion?" Um, right. But also, I don't, I don't. As Quinn was mentioning, like all the combinations they have with the managers, this feels like a fit that I don't love. Like I think Taz will be good for Cage, but at the same time, like. I don't feel like those two things gel as I would want them to because I don't view them as like similarly stylistically. Um, as Cage is this hulking man who does moon salts and can throw people with intricate maneuvers, where Taz is this compact human that always punched above his weight and was always beating up people with these nasty suplexes and submission holds. Um, where Cage just isn't that person. Um, I, I, it's, it's not as it's not as much of a, like a hand and glove fit as like Samoa Joe and Taz when yeah, exactly. they did that. Yeah, when you got Jake Roberts and Archer, I think again, not maybe not stylistic, but I think Roberts definitely elevates Archer with those kind of vibes that they both give off. Um, and after like the yummy cock thing, like what can you do with that with Taz? Um, at the end of the day, <laughs> yeah. <Fair enough>. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think that especially because at this point we've only seen Taz manage people who really seem like they match him pretty much exactly, like kind of match up to his him stylistically. Um, it'll, it's interesting to see what are they going to do with Taz managing someone who's very kind of not very different, but definitely different from him. I mean, like you talked about, Taz is the preeminent um, punching up guy, and and, and uh, Cage. I mean, if anything, he's kind of the punching down guy. He's always wrestling people much yeah, smaller like, than him. Like this, like this, like this would definitely like in ECW. This would like this would have been like a feud. 
right. instead. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. Taz, Taz versus Brian Cage would have been like a, like a title program. <laughs> yeah. Which I would C- watch. Cage has never been in a match where he doesn't look like he should have the advantage. Right, exactly. Standing toe to toe. Yeah, so so it is an it is an interesting thing to think about, and it and it doesn't. I don't know. It, it, we'll see where they go with it. I get where you're coming from on that. I think it's interesting because I've heard the take from some people that it's like there's too many old school guys managing younger acts, which I think is a fucking crazy to take in the wide history of wrestling. But it makes a lot yeah, of that's sense. Like the, that's like that's like the that's like the history of managing. <laughs> yeah, but it's like that. It makes sense if your concept of wrestling is WWE for the past you know twenty years, where there's just no real managers, and if there are managers, it's like they're just managers who are of the time and have just shown up. But historically, that's what man most managers were. Someone who used to be a star in the territory or in the company or just in general who can't really wrestle anymore is now managing someone like because they can talk for them and the other person can't talk as well and like that's what managers are so it's a weird take to me to have to be like well why do they have so many wrestlers that are or so many managers that are old wrestlers and it's like that's what fucking managers are like what do you think man Bob even Bobby the Brain was an old wrestler who couldn't really wrestle anymore like I think that people overlook that that's just what managers have always been. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, I think my only my only issue I like I like the pairing. My only negative is like you said, like Taz is a guy that you want to have involved in the product in some way, and I just I don't know if managing Cage is the best to me the best use for him because he's been so good as a commentator um, that I would honestly want him on commentary more than this. But it's it is what it is. Um, Cage debuts. Cage gets the win. He's got the poker chip that we're, I don't know if they've officially announced what it means title shot wise you get a title shot but i don't know if they said it's a cash in thing i don't i don't i don't i don't i don't think it's a cash in thing necessarily right but um i mean i'm 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 interested i'm interested in moxley versus cage so yeah i'm definitely it's definitely I, a match I, that i'll watch i think that's the plan is for that to be at fighter fest um i know at least it was okay follow that up we get uh kind of the the young guns, I think, of the, the promotion. The guys who clearly should be the first AEW true-born stars. Um, and they have this rivalry. I, you know, people talk about career rivalries that that people have as they go up the card. Uh, reminds me of kind of, in some ways, kind of reminds me of maybe a, the Triple H Rock kind of thing. Where I think I could see these guys continuing to feud off and on for the rest of their careers until they get into the main event scene. Um, MJF versus Jungle Boy. Um, I don't know, Sam. What did you think of the match? Uh, I liked it. Didn't love it. Um, good bones, but like Jungle Boy and MJF are two wrestlers I'm not at all invested in. Um, MJF uh, seems like he's got three wrestlers inside of him, trying to figure out which one should be the one going. Like he's the guy that does the Fujiwara armbar as a finish and finds sometimes finds ways to in- introduce that. But also, he's a shmarmy heel. Um, and other times, he's just someone that's walking through the motions. And it seems like some of his matches feature one of those wrestlers. Some of those rest- matches feature all three. And it's just it's kind of a grab bag of what you're going to get with that guy. Uh, and I don't feel like this match changed my mind on that. Um, Jungle Boy's fun, though. I like him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Kind of, we're going to see these guys face off pretty much continuously for their AEW careers um, just because it makes sense uh, to have them grow with each other. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Quentin, what do you think of, uh, what do you think of the match? 
went way too long. Like, there's one of the AEW problems that, like, it looked like they were on their way to fixing. But, like, something like this did not need to go nearly 18 minutes. Uh, I, I look at the rest of the card, and this winds up going a couple minutes longer than Mox versus Brody. I want longer than uh, Sheeta versus Ro- versus Nyla. And it's just like, it is. I know that it's two, that there's, there's two young guys that they're trying to establish and all that, but it just didn't need to go that long, in my opinion, for the story that they were telling. It's good, uh, I guess, at a, at a, on a fundamental level, but I guess this when Sam mentioned how like the, like the debut of Cage would be something that he would have been intrigued to see how a live audience reacted to, I would have loved to see how a live audience reacts to reacted to this match because I'm just not sure like if MJF versus Jungle Boy is something that at the stage of the company uh, the crowd will be super invested in. So I'd have been curious to see how the crowd would have reacted to this if we were uh, in in normal times. Yeah, I mean, this situation, this feud, this this pairing got a little bit messed up because of the quarantine stuff. They were, they kind of seemed like they were winding it down and may or may not even be having this match here um, before everything hit. And then the kind of the quarantine hit. MJF is off TV for a while. Then they come back and it's kind of like, well, we want to have them on the pay per view. Let's just put them back together. Um, without a lot of build and without like a lot of background and it's kind of like maybe this is a cold issue uh, or maybe they were going to have him here anyways and they just didn't have a chance to do all the storyline stuff that they would have done um, that's another thing I meant to reference it's like Cody Cody uh, I think on some interview said like what like 90% of the show was exactly the way it would have been either way 90%, 90% of the matches or something um, and it's like I was kind of doing the math, and I was like, well, you know, there's nine matches on the show, including the pre-show. And so 90% of nine matches is less than one. So what you're basically telling me is that none of the matches are actually the same. Because you're bullshitting. <laughs> like, you're, it's just, like, people took that seriously to mean, like, oh, all of the card is basically the same as it would have been. And I was like, it sounds like weird carny speak that's actually just saying, like, uh, we basically kind of did the same stuff that we had planned. Uh, not a lot of stuff changed because of the coronavirus. But this match, I can't say. Who knows? Who knows for sure um, that uh, if it was if it was or it wasn't uh, going to be this match. Uh, that said, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of talk about the Fujiwara armbar thing. And for me, like, the, the first thing that pops in my mind is kind of uh, uh, Piper and the sleeper hold. Kind of that, you know, the, the smarmy heel who has this, this submission hold that he uses that he looks for. Um, and that's kind of the reference to me that kind of makes sense um, to why, like... In, in, in my opinion, like, it should be, like... I think, like, I know, I know they're, like, this is, like, a WWE-ism, but, like, it's one of the ones that I agree on. Like, I feel like submission holds, like, should be reserved for heels. Right. Because, like, to me, like, like, a submission hold is, like... When you're, like, get to, like, the root of it is, like... You want to see someone overcome it eventually. And that should... And that's, like, reserved for, like, a triumphant overcoming baby face. Like... So, like, that's one of the few WWE-isms that I, that I agree on. That, like, I think submission holds, like, should be a heel thing anyway. Right. I mean, it is because the submission hold, especially, you see it here. Like, it's the thing that people, you grind on it and you work it. And it, ma- it makes sense in the context of a heel using it because the heel is not looking to, like, cleanly win. The, he- the heel is more than willing to slowly grind someone down using a, you know, a repetitive, cheap tactic of going to the same submission take, hold. Take, take, take advantage of a mistake. Yeah. Something like that, like like that, like that's why I've, I've always thought thought that it was weird when I guess because people like like linked the Fuji Fujiwara armbar like being like some sort of like master tactician and technician that's like okay that doesn't really make any sense for what he is, but like 
I don't know. He's a heel, and like I'm fine with any heel using using any kind of submission. To be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that said, yeah, I think the match was probably too long. They're trying to build these guys up as like the workhorse of the company, but they're not quite there yet. Um, Jungle Boy is very good, I think, as a as a a bumper and a seller. But him, you know, hitting him hitting like a big major um, middle rope power bomb, I thought was a cool little spot, like to show off the different different stuff from him, other than just being a big uh, seller and, and underdog babyface. So. I enjoyed the match. All right, so we come after that. We have uh, the finals of the AEW TNT title tournament here. Um, the match that from the beginning seemed like the clear final for this tournament with uh, Cody versus Lance Archer um, with Arn and Jake Roberts in their respective corners. Um, Mike Tyson comes out with the belt. I, I know that, like, I'm just not, like, into stuff, and I'm not, like, you know, th- I mean things, like, in general, and I'm just not a belt marker or whatever, but, uh, like, I did not give a fuck about the way the belt looked at all. It didn't cross my mind that it was, like, silver until I heard the commentary talk about, like, oh, they, we didn't get to put the gold on it. Like, I just don't care about that stuff. Um, what'd you guys think of the title uh, itself? Uh, I, 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 I mean, it looks shitty, but, but if people were making a big deal about it being gold, like... That's like it still would look shitty even if it was gold, right? Sam, what do you think? Of that? I think it looked better kind of on screen than it did in these very close up pictures on Twitter. I was like, if if we, I had not seen a dozen of those um, critiquing it or making fun of it before I actually saw the belt during the match, I would have not thought twice of it. Yeah, it just didn't. It just didn't register me. Again, I don't really care about stuff like that so it's just no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna notice um but Mike Tyson did notice uh Lance Archer coming out and bringing someone from the back out with him just to give him a choke slam in the middle of the ring uh, Mike Tyson seemed to pop pretty ho- pretty hard for that and was a nice little uh nice little way to use having him there uh to help get over get over uh Lance Archer here um the match itself I mean pretty long <laughs> maybe a little bit too long for no crowd um, definitely some issues with the crowd. Let's say the wrestlers, the crowd, like uh, Billy Gunn's son, repeatedly like trying to get up in in Lance Archer's face and act super tough was not, I don't think, the right move for trying to get over a monster. Um, like I said, the match itself maybe a little bit too long. There was some impressive stuff, some uh, some some decent spots, some you know big bruising kind of attacks from Lance Archer. A little bit of repetitive with him going for the rope walk multiple times. Um, the stuff I like the structure of it. Yeah, I just I think the structure of it works better in front of a crowd. Yeah, for sure. The uh, the gorilla press to the floor. The ca- the the camera in the ring post was a nice little detail. It's like a match that had a lot of cool details, a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of like good stuff added to it that could have really helped with the overall presentation, but this match, I think out of everything on the show was hurt the most by not being in front of a crowd. Um, Mike Tyson yawning was weird. <laughs> Mike Tyson in general was kind of weird. I mean, so good. he just, he seemed like he was out here 100% just for himself. He's, they didn't give him any kind of lead or what to do. And it kind of, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it just came, came across like someone who like what they were into and who they were into just ebbed and flowed as he waxed and waned as he was watching and really didn't help. It, it was weird. Yeah. It did not help with like the fact that, like I said, there's no crowd reacting to anything. And then you've got the one 
most important person as like your kind of touchstone for what's going on. He also doesn't seem to be invested emotionally in it and just pops for spots and stuff throughout the match without really caring if Cody wins or loses, it doesn't seem. Um, even like gesturing to the referee, like, yeah, get Arn Anderson out of here. And it's like, well, that's the, you know, the babyface manager. And yeah, he like cheated, but it should be like, you know, it, oh, he, they deserved it. You know, that's really the way that spot's supposed to go. When they, when the babyface manager finally does something, it's supposed to be like earned, like the heels have been shitty the whole time. And, and honestly, part of it too, is that they hadn't like Jake hadn't really done much up until this point to, to warrant them finally taking a cheap shot like that. Um, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, Quentin, what are, do you have any other thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think like Cody, someone that especially with this with the with the quarantine, that his matches are going to be hurt by this because Cody's matches are always like really emotionally driven, being like the most over baby face in the company. So something like this, where the structure is out the gate. Archer hitting him, hitting him with hitting him with bombs, and Cody fighting and surviving despite Archer dominating so much, and Cody finding these spots and a little bit of wiggle room to to get his offense in. That's a really good story, and when there's a crowd there, and like just watching it at home, like you understand it, you see what's happening. Like you, like we can use context. We're all like, it's like you know, somewhat educated people. Like we can like see like okay, like there's an underdog story. Cody's been fighting from underneath this whole time. And here he is pulling it, pulling it out at the end, but, you know, that's the beauty of wrestling is that it can be elevated by, like, the crowd taking that journey with you live. And I, I totally agree with you. This is a match that, with an actual crowd there, probably comes across better. Yeah, definitely. Sam, any uh, anything else that we missed there? Uh, I like the beginning of the match more than I like the end of the match. It felt like... Oh, Cody's taking these big bumps. Archer's looking like a monster. And oh, that- yeah, Cody, Cody bumped like a motherfucker in this match. <laughs> and then it just kept going. And yeah. I was like, okay, we're going to keep doing this. And then it felt like Archer was a dominant for, for force early on and then sort of evened out. And I was like, what are we even doing here? Um, and he got the manager stuff towards the end, which I didn't give a crap about. Like, it was obviously something was going to happen like that. Um but in front of no fans, that kind of moment, even if there was fans, I think it would have felt, fallen flat, honestly. But without it, it was just seemed weird. Um, and Jake came back out anyway. Um, Mike Tyson not giving a shit about what was happening was hilarious and probably the only aspect of this match which will be remembered, um, which is fine. <laughs> He's the baddest man on the planet, right? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was definitely a paycheck just to get photos with all the boys um just give give everyone their favorite new photo in their collection uh you got a picture (laughs) of mike tyson i and that i forgot to mention that but that was one thing that really i was not i'm not a huge fan of like the title is being presented by a shirtless man like i don't i don't know like that for some reason especially especially when it it looks better than cody too right he he looks he looks better he looks better than cody yeah it's like i get that they wanted to do the angle and get Tyson involved, but you probably should have shouldn't have popped his dog off on that one. Um, just because it's weird that like, ostensibly a title ceremony is like an official thing from the governing body of the company, and to be have it having it be executed by a man without a shirt on is weird to me. Even if it is Mike Tyson, and it definitely doesn't help that he's like in better shape when he's like thirty years older than Cody, and he's in better shape than him. Um, moving forward, we get a replacement mat or match with a replacement. Uh, should have been Statlander versus um, 
Uh, the dentist. What is her? Why am I flaking? Britt Brit Baker. Britt Baker. How could you forget? I know. How could I forget Dr. Britt Baker, DDS? Um, probably not at all the match that we would have got if Britt Baker was here. Probably not the finish we would have got if Britt Baker was here. I would assume Britt would have beat Statlander. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Assume, uh, like, based on what happens later on in the show with Sheeta versus Rose. Yeah. Um, so, that said, I mean, fine. Um, I hear people, it's so funny, I feel like people just, like, don't, well, half the time don't watch something and then just, like, have the stock opinion that they came into the show with. It's like the, you know, the, the old idea that, like, someone writes out the template that Dave Meltzer gave five stars to a match that ended up not happening, that kind of thing. Um, but, like, the takes that I'm hearing are like, oh, you know, Pen- Penelope Ford is pretty green and, and Chris is good, but this didn't work or whatever. And to me, I'm like, Chris looked fine, but Chris to me and in some ways looked worse here because it just I don't know in AEW Chris does not feel like she knows what the fuck she's supposed to be um but uh Sam what did you think of the match I assume this happens every dynamite that Chris Stalander is on but her touching everyone's nose before the match definitely did make me feel weird okay um you've never had just snoop booped before Sam (laughs) not booped during the quarantine um no pandemic boops. Uh, this is a match on paper I like a lot more than I liked the actual match. It feels like if this match was happening in some... like Limitless or CZW Dojo, this match would have kicked ass. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think Stalander's a big bruiser who can make that work more than most folks can, and Belpi has got this athletic offense and can take some pretty darn good bumps. Um, I think in different circumstances, these folks have a real banger in them. Um, this just wasn't the one. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the, pretty close to my takeaway. Quentin, what did you think? Yeah, same here. It's like, I looked at it on paper going into the show. And I'm like, oh, like Chris, Chris versus Penelope should be pretty solid. And it's like, ah, yeah, there's probably like, probably like a kind of a weird environment for them to have this match in. It, it, I know that there's a better match in here between these between these two. I, re- I really do fully believe that. It just wasn't this one. Yeah, Chris is a weird one because she felt like, you know, she was this phenom, and oh, she's this like, rookie that's just like coming out of the gate hot, best wrestler in the world, so amazing. And and me and you have been somewhat critical of her, but not, I think, as critical as people think we have been. I think we're both fans of hers. But, I mean, this is kind of showing the, like, I don't even think necessarily that she doesn't have the instincts, but I feel like, I don't know, maybe she's hearing a lot of what people are saying because people are constantly second-guessing everything she's doing, and it's really turning into this thing where it's like, it feels awkward, the booping stuff at the beginning. Like, that whole... The alien shtick, like, as soon as people started making fun or, or critiquing the alien shtick, it feels like she's in AEW has turned it up. She didn't used to do this much alien bullshit on the indies, really. It was like, it was very limited, and now she's like, makes it into a big part of her her act, and it's just like, kind of like doesn't make any sense and like i was saying i think that if you're like people are like their 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 takeaway from this is chris stantlander is pretty good and penelope is green is weird to me because like penelope to me i describe her as a lot of things but like for a long time now i haven't really considered her green honestly her execution is pretty good like overall she doesn't come across like shaky or like fish out of water shouldn't be there like you know she's got star power she's got presence she usually comes across like she knows what the fuck she's doing everything looks good like I could you could say like basic maybe I don't know it's it's a weird take to have but that's like primarily the takes that I'm hearing people have short match quick and like you said if if this match had more time and maybe it was in a place where both of them felt more comfortable um could have been much better um 
follow that up with like an angle match. Uh, not Kurt Angle, but just a match that's more of an angle than a match itself. Uh, Sean Spears, I guess he's the chairman now, um, going up against Dustin Rhodes. Um, yeah, I mean, not much to say here. Do either one of you guys have anything that you want to get get out about this? Uh, just like it was, it was, it was refreshing to see like a heel like show ass like like Sean like Sean Spears did here. Literally, no, he's not like he like he like <laughs> very literally too, <laughs> yes. but like. We 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 don't really get to see, get to see like a heel embarrassed like this very much very much anymore. Um, just straight up like stooge, embarrassing. Like you just got like the shit kicked out of you when you fully deserved it, and we're laughing at you now. Like kind of like heel like uh, heel beat down. And I very I very much enjoyed like seeing that from that aspect. Not much to take note of there, but it's just like oh yeah, like we don't get really we don't really see heels get like shit on like this anymore. Yeah. Um, I know the beginning was like real long and kind of awkward, like how he did the "Oh, Dustin's here, his music's playing," um, and then they do that for about feels like a minute. Uh, I know it yeah, wasn't went on, but, went on for a while. Yeah, and I was like, I get where you're, I know where this is going to end up. Just like let's get to the chase a little bit here, um, and then they do the thing where the music plays again, and I like how Sean plays it off. Uh, I was like. Whoa, 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 you idiots. I didn't say to do it twice. We're only doing this gag once. Then Dustin just appears from off camera right behind him. Um, and then Tully's on Spears' underwear, which was something for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I liked it. And honestly, I mean, maybe other than the Cody match that I, I enjoyed um, and I thought was pretty good, this might be like the best that that Sean Spears has been used in AEW so far as you talk about the bumping and stooging he looked he looked in his element here it worked it works pretty well just getting his ass kicked as as he gets more and more in 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 less to dress as it goes losing his his clothes and is eventually down to his underwear um so yeah all in all i mean this was this was done pretty well the beginning maybe was a little bit too long and and I, I like the idea of the thing, like you said, Sam, about the, like, you idiots, you're only supposed to play it once, but it, I don't know, it comes across, like, a little bit too much of a cartoon villain heel, because, like, I don't know of anyone who, like, when that was happening, that would be their first reaction, is, like, like, I, I could see the reaction of being, like, telling them, no, it's, I don't want you guys to play the music, but the fact that he kept saying, you're only supposed to play it once, that just came across awkward to me in a way that, like, no one would really say it that way. If you were in that actual situation and you really believed that it was like the sound people playing the music again when they weren't supposed to, I don't think you would say, like, you're only supposed to play it once. You would be like, hey, cut the fucking music off. Or, you know what I mean? You'd be like, hey, you know, stop stop playing it. You wouldn't be saying, no, no, I told you only to play it once. Um, that just felt kind of fake to me. But whatever. That's like a semantic thing. Um, up next, probably the first good match of the show. <laughs> first very good match of the show as far as I'm concerned. Um, which it's like kind of rough at this point. We've gone through, you know, a couple of hours and, uh, we're finally getting something that I, that I think is really, actually really good. Um, Quentin, what did you think of, uh, Nyla Rose versus Hikari Shida for the AEW women's title match in a no, de- no disqualification match? Oh, it was very fun. Um, Shida isn't someone that I'm like, in love with that we know that Nyla she's gotten better but she's still, but she's still limited but like they did plenty of smoke smoke some smoking mirrors and uh working with the gimmick to hide, to hide some of the flaws here and it worked very well like I enjoy I really enjoyed this for what it was 
seeing she seeing she to fight and struggle and Nyla be in control and so be so mean and nasty towards her and when she when she wins it feels like an actual moment is happening to see she to finally overcome after getting title shots before be the number one contender uh at other points in the company's history and now finally get it done here it felt like an actual moment and i was i was very surprised at how much i wound up liking this which at this point with AEW, there's been like where there's been plenty of women's title matches where, I'm, where I've been surprised at how good it wound up being to the point where I should probably like stop doubting. Yeah. When they when they get out there, like from the Riho stuff to everything that she she had going on both times with Nyla, that four way I remember, uh, and, and and coming down here with Sheeta versus with Sheeta versus uh, Nyla, they uh, most of the time they they tend to over deliver. Yeah, definitely. Sam, what did you think of this one? I thought this was a, a buttload of fun. Um, I have not seen much of Nyla. Uh, I thought she was kind of a great um, bruiser in there um, and gave something for uh, she to overcome. And I just thought it was a lot of fun how they used the arena, how they used weapons. And I think overall, like, I came away with this with very little complaints. Like, it's not a Matthew candidate or anything, but, like, after some of the stuff we witnessed on the show, I think coming off the Spears thing, which was had some fun gag in there, um, having a properly fun match, um, made it feel like the show was heading in the right direction, if nothing else. The only thing I had a complaint about was, I'm sure um, everyone else was a little upset by it, where Rose tosses Sheeta over uh, a poker table and says, always bet on black, when clearly there must have been a craps table there where she could have really um, nailed that one, uh, the roulette. Like, I feel like we, that was a missed opportunity for that line. Yeah, although throwing someone into a roulette wheel is very dangerous comparatively, but I guess you could gimmick <laughs> it. Um, get they'll get impaled on the top there. Um, but yeah, definitely a uh, a a weird one. Um, it just made me think of uh, Nyla's uh, snapback slapback on Twitter when someone like questioned her being um, black, and she, I think her response was like. You know, they said that she's not black, and she was like, oh, then who was that uh, black lady that used to beat my ass every day when I was a kid? Um, so, yeah. Um, she is returning the favor here against Sheeta. Um, that said, I mean, so both you guys kind of coming cold, not really watching much of what's going on. They built... Nyla's been gone on the quarantine. Sheeta, they've been building up as the top person. Kind of question switching the title at this point. I think that Nyla Rose barely got much of a title run. Um... But it's odd because from the beginning, I expected Sheeta to be the focus of the division, and really, it feels kind of weird now looking back on this title, like his lineage. As it starts out with Riho, that felt like kind of out of nowhere, but then was really good. Nyla gets it, but really doesn't get a chance to show off being the champion, unfortunately, because of um, the pandemic that hits. And then you switch the title over to to Sheeta finally, who felt like she probably should have been the focus from the beginning. Um, but it worked. I mean, she got built up. I think she's very over she's felt like the star of the division throughout the quarantine era unfortunately we don't have fans there to go crazy for her winning but they've built her up to where it makes sense um it's a shame because like i think like both, like both of these two have gotten better as as this stuff has gone on and we just had like you know it's just like everything got thrown into disarray but like especially nyla she's got like she's carried herself so well since being crowned champ yeah i mean she's been fantastic and, and again playing off the crowd reacting with the crowd the stuff like always been on black the way that she's played around with everything i mean 
I always love a match that uses all the props, so them doing the stuff with the poker chips, again, calling back again with the commentary talking about how heavy and dangerous they are because of the stuff that happened in the first match. Um, a lot of good stuff around there. This match also got me thinking, because they're, they're talking about Sheeta and being a relative rookie, or, or not Sheeta, uh, Nyla being like a relative rookie, six years experience or whatever, being this, you know, savage beast, and it kind of made me think of a comparison in, uh, in ECW, early ECW, um, when Rhino was the, 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 the rookie monster, I think they called him, um, when he first started out and he had been wrestling for about four years. So it's like not that far off. And at that time he was looked at as, yeah, like a rookie who'd been wrestling for four years, but he's this untamable wild man who could beat the shit out of everyone. He also had a promo style that was definitely rife with cursing. So, uh, you know, with, uh, with Nyla Rose calling people bitch and, and swearing and just being unruly and violent. Like she is in some ways a lot like that early rookie monster rhino she's the you know, savage beast character nyla rose is uh not too far off from that and she's pretty good and that was a character that i always really loved um so hearkening back to something like that of course i'm gonna like her here as well but quentin there's one thing you have to admit now because you know with the all the smoke and mirrors and the quality of this match this match was basically uh, omega versus jericho so you have to admit now that omega versus jericho is good um, because this match is good uh i like i like the first one that's, <laughs> that's the thing uh, I'm just messing. Uh, I'm just messing I, I, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm just messing around with you there. Uh, but uh, then we follow it up with uh, the what should be the main event, I guess the the title match. What is the main event in the building? Um, Brody Lee versus Mox. Uh, we got one of your. I mean, both these guys are from you know up north. I guess northeast. But one guy is specifically. He's a Rochester boy, right? The near your neck of the woods, Sam. So Sam, what did you think of this match? You know, it was so good to see Brody Lee be Brody Lee again um, after seemingly that having been removed from him for the time being. I think he's been great for so many years. Um, there are very few wrestlers that I have an attachment to. Like, I don't get um, emotionally invested in wrestlers because that's just not... I'm, an, I'm a husk of a human being. Um, but Brody Lee is one of those folks that I've been able to see so many times live. Um, and he's just a just tremendous professional wrestler, and I... I'm so glad he got to show and actually, hey, you know, this terrible gimmick that I'm likely absolutely for as a person, um, I can do better than that as a professional wrestler. And he actually puts on a damn good match with Moxley um, where they kind of used their entire environment as a weapon, as, hey, I'm going to hurt you with everything um, that I can possibly get my hands on, um, whether it means I am suplexing you into guardrails, uh, whether it means I am smashing you against whatever is next to me. Um, yeah, I was just really thrilled with how this developed, even if, I, again, it's not a match I love, but at the same time, like, just so happy to see that, okay, it, in a match, where, in a show where Archer pretty much fell flat to me, um, and he had been pushed as the great big guy for AEW, Brody, who's been floundering with this gimmick, pretty much puts on probably my match of the night. Um, yeah, it was just good to see. Yeah. You know, want to get real sad for a second? Uh, Brody Lee was with WWE for seven years. Ugh. Like, seven years. <laughs> like, like that. Like that's just, like, gross to look at. <laughs> and it's like, he had a handful of great tag team matches and, like, probably maybe one or two good singles matches in seven years. Yeah, 
It's like fucking insane. Like Brody, like Brody's forty now, and we got robbed of like seven years. Like what would have been his prime? Probably his prime. Yeah. Fuck. At least it's WWE work, so he's probably his body's probably not as beat up as it could have been. Um, so maybe we could still get a couple more good years out of him. But uh, but yeah, I mean the stuff that you talked about there is interesting too because Brody Lee's size has not really been part of this character. You talked about that the character isn't clicking, but it is interesting to come into this and like the imposing nature of how big he is was not the focus. So when people talked about like, oh, you know, AEW is starting to develop this Haas division with the big guys that they have. It's like it's kind of flying under the radar because smartly, I think Brody wasn't focused as like, oh, he's this big monster that's coming in. He was kind of you know, focused on this other side of the character so that Lance Archer was able to be the focus of being the new monster. Um, but then that said, like, his size really came into play here in the match, which was good. And then also, I mean, this following the women's title match was was interesting because, I mean, they this is the way you do it if you're going to do that, is have very similar style matches back-to-back. It's like you really turn it up, and these guys did. I mean, they did. They felt like they weren't, like, overshadowed at all about anything that happened in the women's match, which was, which was you know a no disqualification match like this was not even a no disqualification match this was like at the best this is like laxed rules this is like the referees understand what moxley as the champion means is you got to give them some leeway um but they were still able to turn up the violence talked about you know doing the basically pillar to post kind of brawl around the whole building as much as they could um going through tables going through guardrails fighting on the stage going through the stage i mean wild shit all around quentin what did you think of the match yeah, like it was. It, it, I knew that these two could have a really good match here, and despite the environment, which we've already talked about enough on this, on, on this show, how this environment can be really, uh, can really hinder something being as good as it could have been. This exceeds all of that, and with the crowd, this would have been great. No crowd, this would have no crowd. This was great, and I think these two like. I don't want to see Brody just like sort of like float away now. I want to see Brody stay in this tier. I think that Brody firmly belongs in this category, and I would love to see him and Moxley more. The visual of them going through the stage and then Brody coming up all bloodied after dominating Moxley and really being in firm control of the of the whole thing and the way Moxley comes out fighting. And some and something I love too during the uh promo segment they should they, they showed uh when the Dark Order attack attacks Moxley and Brody's giving this promo, and Brody's going on this long-winded speech about about everything and why he's coming for the why he's coming for the title, and Mox is like, "Dude, like you could have just asked, yeah. like, like you like 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 I know you, we're friends, like we had we went through the same struggle. If you wanted a title shot, all you had to do was ask." And I like love that little thing there that showed you like how far gone that Brody Lee is now, like. He could have just showed up, like showed up, like, "Hey, me and you, like, we like we come from, we came from the same path. I want the same shots that you got." And Mox being Mox, would have said, "All right, fuck it, let's do it." So I love that. I love that little quip there. It's like, man, you could have just asked me for the title shot. <laughs> yeah, and it and it really worked with the Moxley character because I mean, Moxley in that setting is like he's about to get jumped and beat by multiple people, and and the Moxley character is still like got the microphone and he's like. Listen, man, I would have taken this ass kicking in more if you had just said you wanted it. You didn't have to jump me. You know, and that's the great thing. It's like Moxie is up for a fight. So it's not even just like I respect you and we come up and, and I know that you can, yeah. you can do this. It's also like 
I'll fucking fight anybody, dude. You didn't have to do this. You would have got this fight either way. And I would do the same. I would be just as violent with you if you just came up and asked me. Or if, you know, like, it's kind of that thing. It's like, oh, if you wanted to see me at my best, you didn't have to, like, piss me off. I would have, like, been a fucking wild man either way. Um, so, yeah, that was... I definitely... that I thought that was great. Um, so this was posited in the, in the Slack chat that we've referenced every time. The first great... AEW title match? Is this it? What do you guys think? Well, I, I liked Cody versus Jericho, but I feel like I've been the minor I was in the minority on that one. Yeah. So as far as like maybe like maybe like universal praise and like, yeah, probably. I liked Cody versus uh Jericho a lot too. So I I don't know if I would say that this was better than that, but I could definitely still say that that was a great match. Sam, what do you think? I don't think this match was great, so I have a hard time saying it's the first great uh, title okay. match, but yeah. um, I really enjoyed it, and I think I still think there's more to come. Uh, Moxley still has a ton of legs as champion to put on some certifiable bangers. Yeah, I mean, Moxley is... Uh, 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 well, you, you go ahead. I was going to say, Moxley as champion here is definitely feels like you're finally we're finally getting to live out some of the dreams that we had about a Moxley championship reign when he had the title in WWE. Um, but yeah, go ahead, Quentin, with what you were going to say. Yeah, and this, and this is like, imagine the fact that like, we're still doing this, like, and I'm pretty sure like that pack, that pack isn't around still. Like, and, pa- and, and like, how like, fun it would still be like, have, like to have pack in his setting and still have pack in the hunt and all, the, and all this stuff with the title. And that's someone that eventually like, you know, like Mox has got to like, come see down the line and now we're now we're, now we have uh, Mox versus Cage to look forward to, and all that. It's like he, I know, I know that code that the, the Jericho and everything that he and, and everything that he offered was the perfect initial champ for AEW. But right now, because you set up the whole, I guess, landscape so well, and you set up Moxie so well as this like take all challenges babyface. Mox has, has the potential to be like the first like really good babyface champ in a long time. Yeah, and his title run, I mean you know, could end up being something special, honestly, if he keeps going like this. And hopefully they keep it on him for a while because you mentioned it, but now you got you got Pac back in the mix, sure. But you've also got multiple people from the main event here outside of the building, the kind of lights out main event in the Stampede Stadium Stampede match, but like Kenny Omega, Adam Page, uh you know, maybe Sammy Gravara. Like all three of those guys I could see Mox having great matches with. I mean, he's already had good matches with Kenny Omega. Like, so there's a lot of legs left for a Moxley title run. On top of other, like, there's still other stuff you could mix in there. You got Darby. I mean, you telling me Mox doesn't want to wrestle Darby Allen? I mean, I think he'd be he'd love to to show off with something like that. MJF eventually you can get there. Like, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of big matches still available for Moxley here that could be um, very exciting. But uh, getting into the the main event of the show here, uh, Stadium Stampede. I mean, this has been talked to death by a lot of people. I don't really care to get too, too much into the nuances of everything. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever you guys want to talk about, feel free. Um, Yeah, Sam, if you want to start. I don't have a lot to say. It's one of the most purely fun matches I've seen in a very long time. Um, and that I don't think it has uh, more aspirations than to put a smile on people's faces with 
the antics, with the gags, with the... It's just fun. I, I think there's just so much going on, especially after you get out of that opening sequence where they find a way to get everyone not just out of the ring, but in position to be in a variety of locations around the arena um, and put people in different situations. I think it's just absolutely hilarious, fun, just... I, I, I That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah this is... It's like... It's saying that it's just so much fun, but there's just so much to like about it too. Like, it's like there's not there's like one funny bit. There's like so many funny bits in here, so many creative things. The way that like the first half, I can like say like it's like you can say like it's boring, but like this they have to set it up in a somewhat organic way to like to to get to everything that they that they plan on doing. But like this was like. A, like like the like the Dragon Gate Dead or Alive cage match and just like turned up turned up even crazier with like the fact that like we're just gonna go all over the fucking arena with this thing like it's just like super fun to, like to see to see something like this and it just embrace like full wackiness because like hey like we can't we can't be serious with this thing like what we were gonna do probably like probably like probably got changed because of like you know the circumstances in the world right now we can't be like super serious blow off feud. Like let's just like make something that's fun and like Santa put smiles on people put smiles on people's faces from Matt Jackson Northern Light suplexing Sammy Guevara from the from goal line to goal line to the swagger uh and hangman bar segment to Matt Hardy being drowned drowned in the pool by LAX and coming up as different versions of himself each time. Um Hangman uh, riding his horse chasing down Sammy Guevara. Uh when they bring the uh uh, the 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 line the the, uh, the the line maker and just and run Jericho over with it. <laughs> like there's so much like funny shit here that like I can't imagine watching this and just like not having a blast unless you just like don't like any of the personalities involved you don't like AW you don't like you don't think Jericho is funny like any kind of that shit but like I think even then it kind of transcends all of that like I know Sam isn't like the biggest like a like, AEW fan here this isn't exactly like catered to, like what to what Sam likes in wrestling but it's like it's, like, so fucking fun and, like, really just, like, what you needed on a really rough day, a really rough week for, like, pro wrestling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, th- I would say my, my biggest critique is just the the the, um, the Hardy segment going a little bit too long. Um, and and the kind of, like, the tone deafness of, of not even just what they're doing in the spot because you could sell the spot for whatever but like the commentary as well was saying like that they were drowning him and they're leaving him for dead after referencing the Shad Gaspar stuff earlier in the show um yeah that was the only thing that I thought was a little bit tone deaf but otherwise do we do we know do we know the proximity to that because like I remember this this was taped on the 22nd yeah they probably filmed it before so like but again, yeah, so I, did, so I didn't know the prox. I didn't know the proximity to like everything that was happening. Right, and like I said, it's even just the commentary, which I think is something that you could have edited out or edited in general, just so right. that you don't have the commentary saying that he's drowned and that he's being left for dead. It's like he could just be being held underwater. He comes out. I mean, to- they, yeah, totally. Fair. They did the same thing in TNA with the 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 whatever they called it. I can't even remember what it is, but they called the, the the lake or whatever, and they never once referenced like someone being drowned. Just that they went into the lake and then they come out and they're a different gimmick, you know. So whatever um but yeah that said otherwise i mean the characters clashing was done really well um and there was a lot of like a lot of goofiness but a lot of fun um the young a lot of nutty spots like 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 nick jackson running down 
the stadium steps with the and doing that crazy splash yeah. or Omega with the one winged eight. Like it was like there's some nutty shit in here. Yeah, the finish was the the craziest thing. And I would say like the coming out of this, clearly the focus and to me the star of the thing was Sammy Gravara. Like he felt like yeah. most of the, the funniest stuff, most of the best stuff, the finish itself, like was a lot of Sammy stuff. And it's just it's so funny because me and you have talked about him for a long time. I've talked about Sammy Gravara for a very long time just because of you know, I'm not like some insider. Like I, Pete, my old podcast co-host, was from Texas scene, and he showed me Sammy early on in Sammy's career. And I've just been watching him for so long. Um, it's so crazy to see a guy who I've always said has it, and is once he puts it together, once he gets the shot, that's it. And he's a you know a WWE miss out. He had a tryout in WWE, and they didn't think anything of him, or maybe they thought he had too much of an attitude or whatever. And here he is in AEW, and he's well on his way to sneakily becoming a giant star. And I think, unlike... Dude, like, it, it reminded me of, like, it's, like, so much, like, 90s, like, 90s WCW Jericho. Like, right. that's, like, exactly, like, exactly the kind of shit that, like, Sammy was doing here, just, like... But he, when he get when he gets up after being spiked, and he just gets hit with the, with the, uh... With the sprinklers, and he gets up thinking he's won, and fucking... Hardy and Kenny Omega are chasing him down in the car. Like, that's... Like, yeah. <laughs> that can, like, I'm just sitting there looking at him, like, man, like... 1997, 1998 Chris Jericho would have been, like, all over this kind of stuff. Right, exactly, exactly. In a a match that's supposed to be hoot and hollering, uh, Sammy Guerrero also spikes himself on his head at least three different times. Yes. Um, In a match that absolutely does not warrant that uh, (laughs) that move. It does not. Uh, He, my man, is is just, like, trying to completely compress every disc in his spine. Um, Hangman is fucking, like... Rolling on pool tables and doing like action movie sequences, like, that. like, like I'm sorry, like this shit rules, man. Yeah, this is this is definitely a lot of fun. This is a podcast that has, throughout the history of it, been fans of fun. Um, so you know we're we're definitely going to enjoy something like this. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I talked about earlier, MJF and Jungle Boy feel like the you know these guys are we're building to be stars or whatever kind of thing. But like Sammy feels like the guy who's like becoming a star a little bit it's less obvious it's like a little bit more under the radar it's like people say like oh he's just the guy in the dark or in the inner circle that takes all the the losses he's the you know the pin sink or whatever um and it's like yeah but he's also like the golf cart callback thing and the horse chasing him all that stuff like that's building this continuity it's so funny that he has this like continuity of like this running gag Sammy Guevara getting run over by things is a running gag that's like gonna become so endearing and it's I think historically Sammy's not a great babyface, but I think that people will like can get to a point where they fucking love him, um, and I think that maybe at some point he can make that work, you know. But like, I just I like him so much as a heel, but like he's becoming like such a big fucking deal, and like this company again Jericho taking a liking to him, the way that this company is willing to get behind him, like sky's the limit for a guy like him like moving forward just because he's got all the charisma and the willingness to bump and and be crazy and show ass and do all of this it's like coming out of this you got some of the biggest stars in wrestling today in the past present future and all this and kind of coming out of it sammy Guevara feels like the most important guy in the whole match like throughout the entire thing Especially if you, especially if you remember the rumors that I think like after this, there's supposed to be like the, like the inner circle was supposed to like take some like take some kind of break, or at least like Jericho was supposed to take some kind of right. break. I remember after I remember after this match, so like who like who knows based off that, but like if if you're like if you subscribe to that subscribe subscribe to any of that at all, like that explains why Sammy is so highlighted right. because like 
we might be we might be in a situation where Jericho isn't around for a few weeks. Yeah, and an inner circle being led by Sammy it could be a lot of fun, like for sure. And you and you mentioned how uh, MJF and Jungle Boy like it's clear that they're like grooming them to like be like be like these guys, and it's like it's funny how quickly like Hangman a uh, Hangman escaped that uh, escaped that idea too, right. because when obviously when they when they're when they're first doing uh. AEW were thinking like oh they're trying to like build hang- Hangman to be this and that and all that but like Hangman quickly after they like put him into the storyline with uh, his drinking and being like a sort of like a, a lone soldier and his team with Kenny and just like everything like every and all the thought that goes into that quickly he becomes like whenever they would have flipped the switch Hangman is right there and I feel the same way about Sammy Guevara like those two are like on the back burner and Whenever they want to do something with them, it's gonna be great and it's gonna yeah, land. And both great workers. That's the thing too. It's like they they can do stuff like this, but the second they need them to be serious, they can go out there and have great matches. I mean, the the Omega and Page versus the Young Bucks match. Like, I don't think that's a crazy match to have as your match of the year right now. So you know, Page is part of that match and he's a big part of that match. So to be a guy who's in twenty twenty match of the year, I mean, it's a weird year, but. Being in the in the the match of the year for the year shows like the quality that he also can deliver in ring as well. So, you know, I mean, both those guys, backburner, whatever. That shows. I mean, it shows the remarkable depth of the AEW roster. And this is quarantine. This is still pandemic, COVID ass. We don't have everybody. Yeah, this is this is this is still missing the fucking Lucha yep. Brothers in pack. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. So so this company is like definitely has the talent there. I mean, fuck, we're talking about commentator like. They've got more than enough great commentators that they have to make one of them a manager. Like, you got Taz doing managing because you have too many good commentators. Like, yeah, this company just has... they got a lot of the key talent. I don't know if they're, like, completely breaking the bank, but they've got a lot of really quality talent. I mean, there's very few duds on their roster. Um, not a turd in the herd, as they say. Um, which we could also say about the three of us. But, uh, but I think it's time for the three of us to uh, call it wraps for the night unless you guys have any last things you want to say before we go uh nothing I got Sam I'm glad you took time out of your out of your schedule out of your podcast hibernation, hibernation to come and goof around with us for an for hour for an hour to some change well thank you so much for having me uh it's been a lot of fun uh to talk about the illustrious uh all elite wrestling yeah Sam thanks for joining us uh breaking your code of silence and watching some also breaking your not watching any 2020 wrestling um kind of situation as well um otherwise yeah i guess follow us on twitter at qntr email at qntr at gmail.com uh quentin anything else you want to say before we go uh no i don't know what we're going to be doing next week i like i literally have no clue on what what we have what we have planned on doing i guess we'll figure that out as like the week goes on but uh just thank you for listening and uh hope you're here next time yeah, yeah don't lose the beat motherfucker take yeah, the garbage yeah. out yeah. 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 yeah 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 flows at the god level on that quad yeah check check yeah check check yeah Check, check, yeah, bitch, check, check, yeah, yeah, quarter thing to a whole thing, whole game work, hit a bitch with that extended clip with that revolver shit, it's sort of the same purpose. 
niggas beaming up the Scotty in my crack lobby, I can smell the cane burning. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine circus. Put the methanations on your clown ass. Catch a nigga up and leave him down bad. I go get a pack and take a nigga town and fuck his bitches with my out of town ass. Bomb on niggas like Nagasaki. Rocket next to my pocket, I like a body. Drop the check on the bit, many niggas be looking like baby mamas in these Maseratis. Bitch, I fuck up your face with a razor. How I make sure your motherfucking family came through your body. Nigga tugging this shit, put my blood in this shit, prick my finger, Alfredo Illuminati. Joe Pesci pushing product, you niggas is sweeter than Joe Exotic Gonna run like a solder, so fuck the police is a nigga be chillin' in the Habana Police taught him with a whole thing, now they stitchin' main whole game workin' Gangland made a lane in it, did my name in it, it's a game murder All my reps in the crack files, bitch, I got him up at the ball